Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Norton. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. Uh, 15 years ago, uh, Dove, the maker of skin and hair products, mostly for women at the time, um, released an advertisement called Evolution. Uh, you might remember it, so let's take a look. <clears throat> so if you're uh, sitting outside or maybe you're just listening to this later on the podcast, I mean, you couldn't see it, you probably remember this commercial, uh, it shows this woman's face, it looks plain and ordinary, and there's even some obvious blemishes you can see, um, but then how it's transformed using uh, makeup and lighting, and then of course, uh, the technology of Photoshop to turn her into someone that looks totally different on a billboard advertisement. And uh, this really revealed how our perceptions of beauty and image are shaped by advertising, by media, and by the technology of Photoshop, right? Now, Dove tapped into this deeply problematic issue in our culture related to how we view our bodies, particularly at a young age. Um, so here's another ad they released uh, just a few years ago. You might remember this one as well. So it's another powerful uh, video about how when we often look at our own bodies, all we see are the things that we wish were different, the things we wish we could change. And that's not just true of women or young girls or, or teenagers, right? It's true of men as well and boys as well. They face just as powerful pressures to fit in and to see themselves in certain ways. There's all sorts of perceptions about what it's like to be cool or how to look strong or how to be manly or masculine, what would look successful or attractive. I read a book a few months ago about our bodies and body image. It was written by an author named Hilary McBride. Uh, she's a therapist and a psychologist, and she asks a really powerful question in her book, and it's one that I want you to ask and think about today. She says this, fill in the blank. My body is what? Just take a second and think about that. What's the first word that comes to mind? If you had to fill that in, how would you do that? My body is what? Uh, would it be my body is tired? <laughs> maybe you're just tired this morning or maybe you feel tired all the time. Or how about this, my body is fat. For a lot of people, their weight is one of the first things they think about when they think about their body. Or my body is falling apart. Or my body is old and wrinkly. Or maybe my body is ugly. Or how about my body is a struggle. Or perhaps my body is embarrassing. <clears throat> or maybe it's just my body is meh, <laughs> right? Uh, when I was a kid, I remember feeling um, a lot of things about my body. I didn't share my feelings with anyone. I'm still not very good at sharing my feelings with people. Uh, I kept it all inside, but I remember having lots of thoughts and feelings um, 
I remember one time I was five years old. Uh, I was in first grade. I, my birthday was late in the year, but I, was, uh, I started early. And I remember um, I was one of the youngest kids in the class. And I remember I had an accident at school. And the teacher called my mom, and my mom came and picked me up. I remember I was so embarrassed about my body because I thought nobody else my age still has accidents like this. I remember as I got older feeling like I, my body or my looks were very average and for the most part just unattractive. Um, I was never uh, tall or short. I was pretty average looking. I was never overweight or skinny. Um, I played sports. I was active. And uh, if I look back at pictures now of me when I was a kid, I think, man, that was a cute kid. But I did not think that when I was a kid. I just thought I was very just average and for the most part unattractive. Uh, I remember in middle school, I started skateboarding. Um, I was never full on skateboarder, but I, I did skate a lot and I skateboarded with a friend a lot. And I still remember on his back patio, his dad came out and we were skating out there and uh, uh, his dad, I remember the words his dad said to me, his dad said, man, Norton, you're really getting good at skateboarding. It's helped so much with your coordination. And I know he meant it as a compliment, but I, just the first thing I thought was like, huh, I didn't realize I was that uncoordinated. I, I didn't know that was the first thing that most people saw in me or noticed about me. And from that time forward, I just knew deep down, huh, my body is, must be naturally uncoordinated. Of course, I remember going through puberty and uh, your body changes and there's all sorts of questions that are raised and new feelings about your body during that time. But um, I I wasn't totally negative about my body. I was a sort of a fun-loving, easygoing kid, but, but I had these internal dialogues and these internal thoughts and feelings that nobody else would have known I was having. And of course, Those don't really go away when you're older. When you get older, you just have new thoughts about your body. I learned in my 20s that you gain weight if you keep eating double stuffed Oreos for dinner every night. Um, That doesn't work, right? Who knew that? Uh, And so when I gained a few pounds uh, because of that, I didn't like that. Um, My body wasn't cooperating with my eating habits anymore. It felt like I was fighting my body. Uh, When Janice and I first... Uh, tried to have kids, we couldn't. We tried for a long time and it just wasn't working. And some of you know that pain, right? When, it, when the thing that feels like your bodies are made to do, they just, they can't do. And then you look at other people who can do it so easily or it almost happens by accident, right? That raises all sorts of feelings about your body. Uh, And then six years ago, I developed this um, skin rash on my back and uh, a little bit on my shoulders and my chest. It was mostly on my back and it was like all these little, it looks like little mosquito bites and they were really itchy. And so I went to the doctor um, and they tried to figure out what it was. And finally they figured out, they did some tests, they figured out I have something called Grover's disease, which sounds really serious. It's not serious at all. It's it's just this very rare skin condition that some people develop. Um, it's not contagious, so don't worry. Uh, but it's, it, 
and, and when I studied about it and read about it, um, a lot of people that do develop it, it never goes away. And it's never gone away. I've had it for the last six years. And I've, I've, I've tried certain medicines and done, done certain things. And um, in some ways, it's mostly just a frustration. It's a pain because it itches mostly at night. And so I don't sleep very well because of that. Um, it's embarrassing. I don't tell anyone else, but that just changed. So uh, I don't tell anyone else, right? Because it just is kind of embarrassing to say I have this skin disease kind of thing. Um, I did find something that helps. I do these light therapy treatments, and that's actually helped and takes away most of the itching and, and issues. But I have to do those twice a week. And so twice a week, perhaps for the rest of my life, I'm reminded that my body is weak. And that it's got these flaws and that it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And of course, there's a lot of us that have issues like that. And some of you have a lot more serious or, or difficult health challenges than a rash on your back. But we have these things that keep telling us over and over and over that our bodies sometimes don't work the way we're supposed to. And we have feelings about our bodies, struggles some of us have had for a long time, sometimes feelings of shame, maybe even disgust, maybe a sense that you're at war with your body. A friend of mine recently said, he's had some health issues, said to me literally just a few days ago, why does my body hate me? Right? You ever had that thought? Now, the Apostle Paul, who lived a long time ago, he actually had some of the same feelings that we have about his own body. Um, we talked last week, if you were here for Easter, we talked about how in Greek culture, people had a very strong view of their body. They believed that they were made up of both body and soul, and the soul was the good part of them, but the body was the bad part of them, that their bodies were just like prisons for their souls. Their bodies were bad. And, and Paul writes a letter to a bunch of friends who are living in Rome. We call it Romans. It's the longest letter that we have from him. And uh, in the middle of that letter, he has this really long section where he talks about his body. And over and over and over, he talks about how his body just never does what he wants it to do. It never acts the way he wants it to act. It never seems to cooperate with him. It keeps letting him down over and over and over. And it feels like he's just fighting against his body. In fact, he literally says he's waging war with his body. It's like his body is holding him prisoner. And at the end of this really long section about his weaknesses and all the limitations that are in his body, this is what he writes. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a miserable person I am. That's basically how you could translate it. Who will rescue me literally from this body of death? See, Paul knows how we feel. He knows that sense of shame or failure that we have when we think about our bodies. Did you know that Paul had eye problems? He couldn't see very well. He also faced illnesses in his body that sometimes didn't go away even when he prayed about it. He was known to be somewhat unattractive. He had critics that would argue with him, and his critics said, wow, that guy Paul, his writing is really powerful, but if you ever meet him in person, face-to-face, -face, he's not that impressive. 
The, the only physical description we have of Paul isn't in the New Testament. It actually comes from a writing that comes a, a little bit later from the New Testament. So, so we don't know exactly how accurate it is, but here's how Paul is described. A man of middling size, and his hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long. (laughs) You see, I'm guessing that balding Paul, unibrow Paul, right, bow-legged Paul had the same negative thoughts and feelings towards his body that you and I have. But here's the deal. Paul knew something that we don't often know, or he remembered something that we don't often remember, or he embraced something that very few of us embrace. Something that actually goes against what everything Greek culture said about our bodies and something that actually flies in the face of all the internal dialogues that you and I regularly have about our bodies. It was one idea, one concept, one truth. Here's what he said in one of his letters to his friends in Corinth. He said, do you not know that your bodies, now let me pause there because the word is the word soma, In Greek, you might have heard that word or or, uh, heard it in some other words, but this word soma is the common word in Greek for body. It's the word that everyone would have used in the Greek language and in Greek culture for someone's body. It's the word that Plato uses when he talks about our bodies being prisons for our souls. It's the same word that Paul uses when he says, somebody needs to rescue me from this soma of death, this body of death. It's the body that that hates us, the body that's waging war against us, the body that you or I have that we think is too fat or too thin or too tall or too short or too average or too unattractive or too broken. These cumbersome bodies that we have, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you and whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body's not a prison, Paul would say. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where God's spirit is actually lives right there in your physical body. He doesn't live in your heart. He doesn't live in your soul. He doesn't live in your mind. He's in your body. The body that you have, it's not a prison. It's not a shell. It's not something to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. It's not something to fight against. Your body is a temple. It's where God actually lives. Now, a temple is a holy place, as we all know. We've seen pictures of temples. Let me show you a few. Uh, This is a Buddhist temple in Japan. Uh, Here's another picture. This is a Hindu temple in India. Um, Here's another one. This is uh, a cathedral in Montreal. It's not called a temple, but basically the same thing happens there. So some of us have probably seen these kinds of temples in person, or if you haven't traveled that much, you've at least seen pictures of temples like this. 
Ancient Greek culture was full of temples. Here's another picture. These are the ruins of a temple in ancient Corinth. It's the only ruins that are really still standing there. The the city that Paul's friends lived in where they would walk by these religious temples every single day. There were religious temples like this in every city all across the Mediterranean. And of course, there's also the huge temple in Jerusalem, really the center of Israel's life the most glorious building in all of Israel. Uh, Last year, as Adam mentioned, we read through the book of Leviticus and we read all about the tabernacle. That was the temporary temple that was set up in the wilderness. And there's long passages about it, describing it. And then later, Solomon builds the permanent temple there in Jerusalem. And there's long passages describing that in the Old Testament. And you can take all those passages and you can really summarize how they describe the temple in four words. It's beautiful, it's designed, it's glorious, and it's sacred. It's always described as beautiful. I mean, the colors, the fabrics, the wood, the gold, the furniture, the architecture. It's so beautiful that this temple in Jerusalem, it's called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth. It's also intricately designed. Every single part of the temple has a purpose or has a function or has some symbolic meaning that points to something important or significant. Nothing is left to chance. Nothing is random. It's all designed to provoke awe and wonder and worship of God. And so, of course, all of that makes the temple glorious. In fact, oftentimes it's described as a place where God lives in his glory. And the word glory means that because God is there, there's there's this brilliance that radiates out from this building. There's this this radiance or or a a glow, if you will, or or an illumination. It's like it's just shining with light because God is present there. And of course, all of that makes the temple sacred or holy. It's special. It's different. It's not like all of the other buildings. It's unique. It's the building where God's presence is. It's where you can experience him and feel him and know him more than any other place. It's the most sacred of places because it's where God is. And Paul says to us, do you know where God lives now? Do you know where you can experience God the most now? Do you know where God's presence and power is most manifested now? It's in your physical body. The most powerful and sacred and holy of ways, that's where God resides And so if we could go back to the fill in the blank earlier, my body is, and what if the words that we use to describe the glorious temple in Israel were words that we use to describe our bodies? What if we filled in the blanks with those? What if we could say, my body is beautiful, or my 
body is designed. Or my body is glorious. Or here's the most important one. My body is sacred. Your physical body, before it is anything else, it is first and foremost charged with the divine, filled with his presence and power. And that makes it sacred and holy. And yes, our bodies still break down. And yes, our bodies don't always work the way they're supposed to. And there are some things about our bodies that we feel shame towards. And we have to acknowledge that and we have to talk about it. But isn't it fascinating that when God first makes human bodies, we're told the first people that he made, Adam and Eve, when they stand before one another and they can see one another's bodies, isn't it fascinating that it says that they feel no shame whatsoever? So what changed? Why do we feel so much shame towards our bodies now? Or why do we feel sometimes so divided in our bodies? And what does Paul mean when he says we need to honor God with our bodies? Well, these are questions that we're going to dig deep into in the weeks to come. But the place to start, the place that every one of us has to begin, the thing that we have to acknowledge before anything else is simple. My body is sacred. Which, by the way, is more than saying my body is beautiful or my body is strong. You see, I, I love what Dove is doing and trying to help people see their bodies differently, but there is a foundational truth that we have to start with. There is a truth that is transcendent. There's, there's something that we have to hear and believe first and foremost before we say anything else about our bodies, and it's simple. And my body is sacred. Because it may not always look beautiful according to certain standards, and it may not always be strong as far as physical strength goes. And it may not always work the way it's intended to work or we want it to work. But our bodies always have been, always are, and always will be sacred. That no matter what they look like, no matter how well they function, no matter what kind of uh, disabilities or weaknesses or flaws our struggles that we have in our bodies. Our bodies are made in God's image. And Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's where God lives. He lives in your physical body. And so here's what I want you to do this week. You have one assignment. I want you to simply figure out how you will declare to yourself this week, my body is sacred. And you can do it in all kinds of creative ways. Maybe you take a dry erase marker, and when you go home, you, you write all over your mirror, because that's the first thing you see when you're looking at your body in the morning. Maybe you write all over the mirror, my body is sacred. 
So that this week, when you look at that, every time you see it, you'll remember, my body is sacred before I think anything else or feel anything else about it. Or maybe you have a journal um, or, or a diary or, or, or maybe it's just a daily calendar. Maybe it's just writing in there on every page that you're going to look at this week. My body is sacred. Or if you pray in the mornings, may, maybe your prayers are five-second prayers before your feet just hit the ground out of the bed. But why don't you make this your prayer this week? God, help me to remember today when I eat food, when I move my fingers, when I look at things with my eyes, when I hear things with my ears, help me to remember that my body is sacred. If you need to get a tattoo on your body, get a tattoo, right? If you need to do some sort of artwork when you get home, if you need to make a poster, if you need to get your kids and say, hey, let's do a craft together, or you bring me your ideas, how can we remember and remind ourselves that our bodies are sacred? Would you do that this week? Now, for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the implications of this belief because there's all sorts of questions we have to answer and all sorts of other issues we have to to talk about but here's how we're going to close today in a moment we're going to take communion together and uh, in order to set that up I want to just tell you two really quick stories Uh, one day Jesus was at the glorious temple in Jerusalem. Uh, The temple uh, that Solomon built was destroyed hundreds of years earlier, and then it was rebuilt um, by a guy named Herod, uh, Herod the Great. That Herod rebuilt the temple in the generation before Jesus. And so Jesus is there in Jerusalem at this rebuilt temple, and there's some of his critics that are there, and his critics say to him, hey, Jesus, can you show us a sign or a miracle that will reveal to us that you are sent from God and with God's presence and with all of God's power and authority? And so here's what Jesus says. John tells us, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, Well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his soma, his body. And then when Jesus shared his final meal with his followers, they didn't know it was the final meal, it was just a Passover holiday meal. But during the meal, Luke tells us this. He took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my soma, my body. And it's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And of course, we know On the following day, he was crucified. His body was broken and his blood was poured out. You see, Jesus gave his physical body for us. He didn't give his heart to us. He didn't give his soul to us. He didn't give his prayers and his best wishes and his hopes and his intentions to us. He gave his physical body. And that's what Paul means when he says, you were bought with a price. He gave his body for you. He gave his sacred body for you so that you could live in your sacred body 
for him. And if there's any question about Jesus' body being sacred, God raised him up from the grave and he made his body whole and new again as we celebrated last week in a way so that we could know and remember and look forward to the day that our bodies will be raised up as well and we will be made whole and new again. And so today, when we come to the communion table, Jesus declares to us in these elements, this is my body given to you. Remember today that your body is sacred to me. So we'll sing a song in just a moment. And the way we do it here, in case you're new um, today or visiting with us, is when we sing that song, we just invite you to come forward and the communion table's open to anyone who wants to uh, place their faith or reaffirm their faith in Jesus this morning. And so you just come and you grab one of the cups and you can take it back to your seat and you peel the top off and there's a little bread wafer and then you can peel the next part off and drink the juice. And it's a way to tangibly, physically, in our bodies, remember who Jesus was and what he did and who we are in his eyes. And so let's do that now. Would you join me? Let's stand together. And our custom here before we take communion is we pray this prayer of confession together. So let's take a moment and say these words. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved you as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.